Starting in 2 Peter chapter 1, at the back of your Bible, you should be able to find it at the back of your Bible. Start, we're going to be at verse 16. And I want to, I'm going to preach a quick sermon this, this evening on Jesus Christ still has work to do. Jesus Christ still has work to do. First Peter chapter, or Second Peter, pardon me, Second Peter chapter one, Second Peter chapter one. We're going to be there at verse sixteen. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice. To him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let me go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray you bless this uh, teaching, Lord God, this preaching. Father, I pray that it be your words, Lord, not mine, Father. I just pray your Holy Spirit will move this evening, Lord God, leading, guiding, directing us, Father. Lord, I just pray you speak to our heart the truth, Lord God. We want the truth, Lord, and we know Father, according to you, that your truth will set us free, free, Lord, and we thank you for it. And, Lord, I just thank you for this time of year, Lord God, that there's the, the spirit of Christmas, Lord God, where we, we have a giving heart, Lord. But, Lord, help us to understand what we need to be doing now, where we need to go from here, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that this, this message, that your words, Lord God, to come alive off the book, Lord. Help us to understand them. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. What Peter's talking about here in verses 16 and 17 is he's referring back to when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus Christ took Peter, that's who's writing this, James and John, and he took them up to, the, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. He took them up on this mountain, and before Peter's very eyes, Jesus Christ was glorified. He started shining bright as the sun, and Moses was on his right hand, and Elijah was on his left hand, and he was shining. And Peter and James and John were just amazed to see Jesus Christ glorified like no man had ever seen Jesus Christ glorified like that. And they heard from heaven this voice that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's the story that Peter's referring to right there. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get that idea in your mind of how amazing this was to be able not only to walk with Jesus Christ as a man, as a son of man, but what Peter got to see is Peter got to see Jesus Christ glorified as the son of God, bright shining as the sun. They couldn't even put their eyes on him. He was bright shining as the sun. And he's talking about this happening. And he says there at the end of verse 16, but we're eyewitnesses of his majesty. He said, Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses. We saw it with our own eyes. Some of the other disciples didn't get to see it, but I, Peter, saw it with my own eyes. I even heard God speak from heaven with my own ears and say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with, when we were with him in the holy mount. So he's saying, I was there. We heard it. We heard this voice from God it's talking about Jesus Christ. We've seen him glorified in all his glory. Why am, I, why am I pointing this out so strong? Because the very next verse is something very important to you tonight. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. What he is saying there, brothers and sisters, he's saying... We have a more sure word of prophecy. You have something more important than that right here in your lap. 
It's called the Holy Bible. And what he's saying there is, I've seen it with my own eyes, I heard it with my own ears, but you have something that's more sure word of prophecy. God could come down to any atheist. You have, I've heard atheists say, if God is real, I want to show himself, reveal it. I want to see something from God. I want God. Well, here's what would happen. If God was to come down and say, Keegan, this is God, I'd be like Ebenezer Scrooge. It must have been some of my aid. It's causing me to hear things. Somebody must, somebody must have put some acid into my, into my food. Now I'm tripping on some kind of drug, and now I think I hear God talking to me. Or if you saw God, the heavens light up, and you saw the skies light up with, with, with a light, you would say, well, that's some kind of trick of photography. Somebody's doing something with a, with, with a camera. There would be all kinds of ways for you to convince yourself you didn't see what you've seen or you didn't hear what you heard. But this book right here, what makes, it, what makes it a more sure word of prophecy? More sure word of prophecy because of verse 27. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What makes this Bible so amazing? What makes this so much better than seeing God in heaven or hearing God from heaven is... It's prophecy. And that's what I want to point out to you tonight. What makes this Bible amazing? What makes this book different than any other book you can buy any other, off any other shelf or any other, any other stories is this book has prophecy. In other words, it t prophecy means it tells you what's going to happen before it happens. That's how you know you've got a holy book. Because it's in black and white. Uh, when you get older and you start doing any kind of transaction, you know what they make you do? They put it all in black and white and they make you sign your name. If you buy a car or anything like that and you're going to make payments, they'll say your payments are going to be $250 a month, blah, 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 and you've got to sign it and it's in black and white and they give you a copy and you have a copy and if there's ever any disagreement, you know what they do? They open up the books and they say, let's look at the paper. Let's read. Let's see what it says right there. You sign that paper, it says you're going to pay. It's all in black and white. No more arguments. So when God writes something down, he writes it down and says, this is what's going to take place in the future. And when it does come to pass, after you've seen it for hundreds of years written down on a piece of paper, there's nothing else you can do to say, but to say this, God. That's got to be God. In Isaiah, God says, you want to know I'm God, I'll prove to you I'm God. I'm going to show you I'm God because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. That way you'll know I'm God. Because none of your other images, none of the, your other gods, lowercase g, that you claim to and fall down to and worship, they, number one, they don't speak to you. And number two, they don't tell you what's going to happen before it happens. You'll know I'm God because I'm going to tell you what happens before it happens. So what makes this book holy? What makes this book so special? Because, verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I've had men say, atheists say to me, say, well, this Bible is only written by man. Yeah, it's written by man, but it's got God writing through man. That's what they don't get. Yes, it's written by man, but it's obviously inspired by somebody bigger than man. And you say, well, how do you know that? Prophecy. 
Because you can't tell me what's going to happen. They can't even tell me what the weather's going to be like in a week. They, have, you, have you got one of them apps, the weather apps? I, I know you work outside. Some of you guys work outside. I, I try to keep up with the weather. It'll say it's going to be 70 degrees. Next, next week it'll be 70 degrees. And if you look at your weather app, as it, as the, as it gets closer, it, they start changing it. It, 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 it. They start, you know, it might be 10 degrees higher. Might be, in other words, they have no idea. And when you've got Jesus Christ, and we're celebrating at this time his birth. You understand, when you watch a movie about Jesus Christ or watch anything about Jesus Christ, it's an amazing story. But what makes it amazing is this. It's not that he came on the earth and that he walked on among men and he was healing people. He was doing all these miracles. He did all those things. But what makes it even more amazing than that is that he was prophesied to do this stuff. So you've got a book in the Old Testament that's, that told us this kid right here is going to be born. Where he, where he was going to be born, to who he's going to be born, at what time he's going to be born, what he was going to do, all these prophecies. He's fulfilling 48, he's fulfilling 48 prophecies just being born and, being, and growing up and dying on the cross. There's at least 48 different prophecies in the Bible. The odds of a man taking a man, of, of somebody prophesying about one man and getting straight 48 prophecies is a bazillion, gazillion to none, to one. In other words, it's impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. No man's ever been able to do that. Well, there's, many, there's lots of different scriptures. It says here the scriptures. Where the, the Muslims had their scriptures, Buddhists had their scriptures. The uh, Shintoism has scriptures. What's the difference about what's the difference in their scriptures and their holy writings and your holy Bible? One word, prophecy. Ours prophesies. There does they don't prophesy. <laughs> Read it. You got the right book. You got a more sure word of verse nineteen, prophecy. It's more sure than God speaking to you from heaven or you being able to see God in heaven because it's in black and white. Once you've got it in black and white, brothers and sisters, you can prove, you can say, that's not how it happened. You prophesied this. And when Jesus Christ came on this earth, and I keep pointing over here because I'm pointing at Jesus Christ as a child, the world likes to leave him right there. They want him to stay as a child. But it's amazing enough that there's at least... 48 different prophecies of what Jesus Christ was going to do, and he fulfilled every one of them. But that's not what Jesus Christ came only to do. He didn't just come to be born in a manger, to the house of David, to a virgin. All these are prophecies. Everything, these are miracles. Being born of a virgin, that's prophesied. He did it. He's born in Bethlehem. He did it. He wasn't even, he wasn't even raised there. He did it. All the stuff that he prophesied to do, die on the cross, he did it, Isaiah 53, all these things he pro But he has more work to do. And that's what I want to point out. Here we are at Christmas night. We've all had Christmas. And you might ask yourself, okay, I've, I've worshipped and I've celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ. I hope you did. What now? Well, Jesus Christ has a whole lot more to do. <laughs> There's 400-something prophecies something that are left unfulfilled. On Jesus Christ. And I want to show you some of them. Go back to Luke chapter 1. Go back to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. 
Jesus still has a lot of work to do. Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He has a lot of work to do. So if somebody ever asks you, how do you, why do you believe this Bible? Why do you believe this Bible's holy? Why do you trust this Bible? Just you say one word, prophecy. Prophecy. The Bible says in Revelation that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. The reason why you can believe Jesus Christ is because he told us what's going to happen, and it happened. Now, he's got work still to do. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, and most of y'all know that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for mine and your sins. We know that stuff. But there's, Jesus Christ still has more work to do. There's still prophecy to be fulfilled. And Peter's saying, that's a more sure word of prophecy, and this stuff has to come, has to come true. Now look at Luke chapter 1, verse 32. There is prophecy yet unfulfilled for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 31. This, look at verse to get the context. And this is the angel that comes to Mary. This is what he says. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. That's prophecy that came to pass. Remember, he's talking before Jesus Christ was even conceived. So there's prophecy. Did he, okay, did Mary have a child? Yes. Did she call him Jesus? Yes. 2,000 years later, what are y'all calling him? Jesus. Pretty amazing, huh? Verse 32, he shall be great. You can say a lot of things about Jesus, but one thing you can say is, he was great. We're still, we still get together and worship him 2,000 years later. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. Is Jesus Christ called the Son of the Highest? Undoubtedly, yes. He's the Son of God. Everybody, we call him the Son of God. But look at the, very, the same verse, 32. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. That hasn't took place. The middle of verse 32, that has not took place. Where's the throne of his father David? It's in Jerusalem. Look at verse 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob. Is he reigning over the house of Jacob? That's Israel? No. He's still got, he's still got work to do. And what I want to point out to you, is, and, and it says, there's verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of David forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. The work that Jesus Christ has to do means he has to come back. So just like he came the first as a child, and the world wants to leave him in the manger and say, okay, that one day, that one little season, he's there in the manger, and oh, he's so cute, now let's put him away, let's go put him back in the garage, put all the stuff up, let's forget about Jesus, let's live another year, and then when Christmas time comes again, we'll start putting out little nativities, and then we'll think about the baby Jesus again. That's in the past. Jesus Christ is coming back. He has to come back. Everything this Bible prophesied has came true except for Jesus Christ coming back. I'm here to tell you he's coming back. He's coming back. He has to come back. Look, look at chapter 4. Look at Luke chapter 4. Now I preached this last Sunday and I, I'm, on, I'm, I'm pointing this out to you because if you were here last Sunday you, you heard me preaching this. Luke chapter 4 verse 18. But I didn't mention this in the sermon because I didn't want to go down some rabbit trail. But here's an example of this. And I'm going to show you now some of these prophecies that have not been fulfilled about Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. 
And of course, this is Jesus himself speaking. And this is what Jesus Christ says. Because he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. Verse 17, it says he's reading the prophet Isaiah, which is Isaiah. Verse 18, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Did he do that? Yes. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He's done that. To preach deliverance to the captives. He's done that. And recovering a sight to the blind. He did that. To set at liberty them that are bruised. He did that. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He did all of that. Praise the Lord. And then it says, right, what does it say in verse 19? Excuse me, verse 20. And he closed the book and he gave it to the minister. Now, he didn't keep reading. He didn't keep reading because that's what he's supposed to do right then. But I, I want you to turn to Isaiah 61. And let's read it. What it actually, what, let's read what Jesus Christ was reading and let, let's see where he stopped. Isaiah 61. Uh, if you turn to Isaiah 61, we can read what Jesus Christ was reading. It's amazing. It's the same thing. But you're going to find something, something unique about that. Look at Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. I know I'm turning to a lot of Scripture, but I'm, I'm going to show you there's things that Jesus has left undone. He's got some stuff to do. And just because we finished worshiping Him as the baby... That's not, God, does, God spends so little time on the birth of Jesus Christ. He, the prophecies of Jesus Christ, the majority of them, it's like 10 to 1 talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. A whole lot more than they talk about the coming of Jesus Christ on this earth as a prophet, as a suffering prophet, and as a lamb. Look at Isaiah 61, look at verse 1. Here's what we were just reading. Jesus Christ was reading it. He said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has, spent, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book up right there, right there at that comma. What's the very next thing? He closed, he closed the book up right in the middle of a comma. And the day of vengeance of our God. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. He closed the book right, right when it's going to talk about him coming back and bringing vengeance on this earth. He closed it up because it's not the time to talk about it. That time, he was, that time on the earth, when he walked on the earth, was a time to talk about peace. It was a time to talk about forgiveness. It was a time to say, hey, I've come to die for your sins. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. And he closes the book. Well, brothers and sisters... That prophecy continues right there in verse 2 and says, And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mount, that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. That's a direct prophecy that Jesus Christ is going to come back bring vengeance on this earth, and he's going to be planted somewhere in Mount Zion. See that at the end of verse uh, 3? The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Now we know where that planting is. It's there in Jerusalem. These prophecies, and I, we can't go through all of them tonight. It takes us all night long. But these prophecies, what they are going to tell us is that Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back. 
Every other thing he said was going to take place has took place except for that. Now you can say, okay, all this, all this prophecy took place, all this pro and okay, now, but I don't believe he's coming back. That'd be foolish. He's going to come back. He must come back. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to show you another one of these. Isaiah chapter 9. He's going to come back. And I'm showing you, what I'm trying to show you is there's prophecies of his first coming. But right after the prophecy of his first coming is prophecies of his second coming. And so many Christians, what happens is as Christians and as the world, the world, they, they, they focus on his first coming. There he is as a babe in a manger and he's so little and precious. It's the baby Jesus and he's walking around as he grows older and he's so meek and he's so kind and he's so forgiving. And he, he is all these things. He was a lamb, but they don't want to think of Jesus Christ as sitting on a horse as king of kings and lord of lords with a crown on his head coming back as a lion. They don't like that part of him, and he will. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse 6. Here's a, here's a, here's a great prophecy of the, of the birth of Jesus Christ. Notice this one. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You see that there? Okay, turn back, to, turn back to chapter 7, verse... Keep your finger here, but turn back to chapter 7, verse 14. I'm going to show you something. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you something tonight. Chapter 7, verse 14. Do y'all have, have like the dates on y'all's Bible up above that? Chapter 7, verse 14. Do y'all have a date on that? She has 742 B.C. Do y'all have a date in y'all's Bibles that tell you up at the top? Sometimes they'll be like the middle, in the middle of the column. It'll say, it'll give you a date sometimes up here at the top. Y'all have that in any of y'all's Bibles? 742. 742. Do y'all have any in y'all's new Bibles there that say in y'all's Bible? I'm curious. You don't have any dates in there? Yeah, I'm sick. Some Bibles will put the dates in there. So my Bible has in there 732. So right around 10, we're 10 years off there. 742. So it's 700 B.C. What that tells you is this scripture you're about to read was written 700 years before Christ was born. America hasn't been around for 700 years. That's about double the amount of time. In other words, that would be like some guy saying, seven, two, two, way before America's around saying, there's going to come a time where this person's going to be born in Brownwood, Texas, and blah, blah, blah. You're like, 700 years ago? That, look at here. Look at verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Wow. 700 years before Christ was born, it says there's going to be a virgin. She's going to conceive, and we're going to call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is God with us. That is that's God manifesting the flesh. That's what Jesus Christ is, the Son of God. So it's showing you that God has been prophesying all this for, time, for 700 years before Jesus Christ came. We're not talking about a couple of years for, before Jesus Christ came, somebody prophesied it, then he showed up a couple of years later. No, we're talking 700 years that's what makes this book amazing. You can either believe it or not. 
So what a skeptic will do, a skeptic will read this and say, this was, written at the, this was written at the same time Jesus Christ was born. That's what they'll say. Well, here's the problem. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the problem with that is, the Dead Sea Scrolls were written before Jesus Christ was born. And this book of Isaiah is in there. And guess what it says in there? Exactly what you're reading in your Bible. They don't believe because they don't want to believe. So turn back to chapter 9. Turn back to chapter 9. Guys, you've got an amazing book. And what makes this book amazing is it's full of prophecy. Now, you might not know where all the prophecies are. You're going to have to study it out. You're going to have to read it. You're going to have to study it out. But it's all in there. Look at verse 6. Chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. That's obviously Jesus Christ. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name, Jesus Christ, shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, that's Emmanuel, God with us, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All those things came to pass, just like it said right there. Jesus Christ has been known as all those things. Wonderful and a counselor and a mighty God, but there's one thing that hasn't happened yet. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There's still stuff to do. Jesus Christ still has things to do. So he's not just gone up to heaven and that's it. We're never going to see him again. And he's just some fairy tale and maybe some guy, imaginary guy that lived 2,000 years ago. Don't fall for that. He resurrected, he's alive, he's up in heaven, but he's coming back. The, Bible's, the Bible has prophecy. God has prophesied through men, and we just read Peter saying it, through holy men. They prophesied this stuff, and it's got to come to pass. It must come to pass. There's so much in this Bible, even, and I'm just focusing on the book of Isaiah. Look at chapter 65. Isaiah 65. If you're still with me, look at chapter 65. Uh, it's going to happen. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Jesus Christ is coming back. I can't wait. I can't wait. Look at verse... Look, look, okay, you're in 65. Look at verse, uh, chapter 66, verse 8. I'll show you another one of these things. Look at 66, verse 8. Chapter 66, verse 8. Y'all see that verse right there? That verse was written 700 years ago. Seven, I mean, 700 B.C. So, practically speaking, this verse was written 2,700 years ago. 2,700 years ago this verse was written. See that verse 8? What does it say? Who hath heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. There's never been a time in history where a nation was born just like that. Born at once. Ever. There's never been a nation ever been recorded in the history of mankind where a nation was just born right in one day, and just one day, born at once, it's a nation. That's never happened up until 1948. 
And that's when Israel were brought before Israel and the United Nations came, to, came together. Israel was not a nation, and they voted, and they voted in one day, and Israel was not a nation. And in 1948, Israel's a nation. All of a sudden, you had God's people scattered all over the known world, and in 1948, they become a nation again, just like God prophesied. And one day, all at once. How do you explain that one? You can't. It's never happened, and it's never going to happen again. Guys, you've got the right book. Look at verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Are you trembling at the word of God? When you open up this Bible, does it, does it scare you? It should. Do you know this Bible tells you everything that's going to happen to you when you die? If you don't know Jesus Christ? This Bible tells you that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that when you die, that you will stand before him and he'll have to cast you into a devil's hell that was never intended for you. And the Bible says you'll burn forever and ever separated from God and all your family and all your friends and everybody in total darkness. Now, the Bible's been right about everything else. So you're going to take, take your soul and bet that the Bible's going to be wrong on that. That's what an atheist does. An atheist says... Okay, the Bible's been prophesying all this stuff, and I've been seeing it happen, I've been seeing it happen, I've been seeing it happen. So, when it talks about my soul, I'm not going to believe it, I'm just going to keep on living my life. Well, see, this is the good news. The Bible also prophesies and tells us that if you will receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he'll save you, and you won't ever have to worry about going to hell. Because that's what he went to the cross for, to die for your sins. So I chose, because I see the Bible, and I say, man, this thing is so awesome. It's prophesying all these prophecies, and they're coming to pass right before my very eyes. And now that I see all of this, and it tell, that same book is so true about everything else, it tells me that I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior by faith. I don't do anything. I just put my faith in Jesus Christ, and he'll save me. And I stepped out by faith and took Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And something spiritually happened to me. I can't explain it. I can't, I can't write it on a piece of paper and say, okay, this is what's going on in my heart. All I can tell you is when I received, when I, took my, when I put, stepped out by faith and walked down the aisle at Victory Baptist Church and put my hand in the preacher's hand and said, I want to I take Jesus Christ. I want to be saved. I, I want Jesus Christ. Something changed in me. And I've never been the same. <laughs> now, I've read my Bible and I've figured out what that is. The Holy Spirit started coming in and living in me. I became a new man, a new creature in Jesus Christ. And I found out all this stuff, but at the time I didn't know. All I knew is I had all this burden on me, and boom, it got lifted off. I was so happy and jo so joyful. So the Bible, for me, has always been true. Because every time I've tried it out, it's been true. Now, there's some things going to happen that haven't happened yet. All I can tell you is you've got to keep looking for them. But it's going to happen. See, look at verse 65, uh, chapter 65, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. 
and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy any at all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. The Bible says there's going to come a time when the wolf and the lamb are going to lay down. The lion is going to eat straw like an ox. That hasn't happened. Have y'all any of y'all seen a lion eating straw like an ox? I haven't. But it's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. God still has things to do. He didn't just end right here. He's got a lot more to do. Do you believe it? I believe it. You know why I'm so sure of it? Because I got a more sure word of prophecy. You want me to show you something I've seen happen in just my lifetime? Look at Revelation. You want to see the mark of the beast, the Antichrist? Look at, Mark, look at Revelation 13. I'll show you one last more and then we'll, we'll be out of here. Revelation 13. I'll show you one. Let me show you one that's amazing. And, and people forget this. We live in 20, we're about to live in 2020. That's so crazy to say. 2020, we should be flying cars and going to Mars and all that other stuff they did in the Jetsons. 2020, that's a, that's, ah. I feel like we're living in the science fiction days, you know. And we are. Y'all got computers in your pockets. Kids have computers in their pockets that they didn't have, that, got, that men didn't have that landed on the moon. It's amazing. We can get on a phone and talk around the world and video each other and see each other around the world. Guys, we're living in, and there's never been anything like this in the history of mankind. Now look at Revelation 13. This is the, talking about the mark of the beast. Look at verse 15. Revelation 13, 15, talking about the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, the false prophet. And he said he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, a hundred years ago, they couldn't imagine how that could be possible. We're talking, a hundred, just a hundred years ago, they're like, how could he make an image... And it would start speaking. Y'all kids know exactly what happened to that. They got robots now that look like men and women. And they speak and they move and they talk. And man, are they creepy. (laughs) Give me the creeps. Y'all got phones up here that that talk to you. Alexa, tell me where Indian Gap is. Indian Gap is blah, blah, blah. They're watching you everywhere. See, verse 16, and causeth all, both small and great, rich, poor, to free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. 666. A hundred years ago, just a hundred years ago, they said, how could one man control what man drinks or eats or what he can buy? That's impossible. You can't do it. And guys, y'all know that it's right here right now. So that's pretty amazing in itself. When I first started studying the Bible and started studying the book of Revelation, they said that mark of the beast, it's got to look at it, look at it, verse 17, or verse 16, to receive a mark in the right hand or in their forehead. See that at the end of verse 16? To receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And I even taught this in Sunday school. It would be a barcode, and you'd have to have that barcode. It would be tattooed on your right hand. Everybody's getting tattoos. They get a barge cold on the right hand. 
or on their forehead if they didn't have, and it'd be a barcode, and you'd go through, and just like a scanner, they'd scan it, beep, and they'd say, okay, you got $1,000 in your bank account, you can buy this food, or whatever it'd be, beep, beep, and it's like, oh, that's good teaching. That sounds right, right? I mean, because it's all about barcode. That's not what your Bible says. That's not what the Bible says right there. Read it with me again. End of verse 16. To receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. It didn't say on. Does it, do y'all, are y'all reading the same Bible? It says I-N. Now we're living in 2020. What are they doing? They're making, it's about the size of a grain of rice. It's a little chip. And they can put it in underneath your skin. They're trying to do this with a lot of the kids. And they can track wherever you're at. All your information's on there. And they got a little scanner. And poof, you don't even know what's underneath there. It's in your right hand. And it, dee, dee, okay. His social security number is blah, blah, blah. His bank account, da, da, da. And the Bible 2,000 years ago said it was going to be in your right hand. Mm. <laughs> Pretty scary. Pretty scary. Now, y'all live in Texas. You're born and raised in Texas. Have you ever seen so many wineries in Texas? I thought wineries were for California and over in France, right? Everywhere, the, everywhere they pop up, they just popping up everywhere. Winery, winery. They even have one down here off of Newburgh. You know what it says? That, and I, you don't have to turn to it in Revelation. You know what God's saying when he lets out those, those, uh, those four horsemen? You know what he says to one of them? Don't hurt the oil or the wine. So 100 years ago, I have some books. And you know what it says? It must, oil, oil must represent medicine. And wine must represent just high class. Well, y'all are living in 2020. Y'all know what that means when God says, don't hurt the oil. (laughs) Everything is based on the oil 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years later, what's our whole economy based on? Oil. What do we have wars over? Oil. What's it all about? Oil. And the rich people, you know what they're doing all over the state of Texas? As Texas gets richer, what are they doing? Planting a winery on everybody's backyard. Don't hurt the oil and the wine. Now, how did God know that 2,000 years ago? Revelation 11 talks about men being beheaded for the testimony of Jesus Christ. When I first taught that back in the 90s, I said, beheaded? Beheaded? I was thinking like a French guillotine. They'd put you on a guillotine and they'd let the... Like Henry V would do people, Henry IV would do people, cut their heads off, uh, uh, uh. Y'all are living in 2020. Y'all know who are cutting people's heads off? All those people around Israel called the Muslims. If you go on the internet, they're up there all the time. And they cut somebody's head off. How did God know they were going to be doing that 2,000 years later? How did he know? I don't know. He must be God. Now, if he's right about all of that, Don't you think he's probably right about a place called hell? I believe it. So you got a choice tonight. You say, I'm going to either believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins, and I must receive him as my Lord and Savior, or I'm going to walk out these doors and say, I don't believe that. I know that that's kind of weird coincidences. It's just weird. I'm just going to take my... 
and walk out and put your trust in yourself. When it's black and white, given to you free by any church will give you a free Bible that says what's going to happen. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, Jesus Christ. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Verse 11. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness that he does judge and make war. That's Jesus Christ. Battle Armageddon. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written, on, written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus Christ. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen and clean. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. And he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Nothing good coming there. That's a battle Armageddon. That's Jesus Christ coming back. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh name written what is written there. King of kings and Lord of lords. It's going to happen. Are you ready? Because God says He comes back. Verse 6. Blessed, uh, chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is He that hath part in the first resurrection, and such a second death has no power. Verse 6 says, But they shall be priests of God in Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. Jesus Christ has got to come back. He's got to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. That's when the lion's laying down with the lamb. That's when all that stuff I was reading takes place. But it's, it's going to take place. The world thinks we're still stuck back here in a manger. God's way ahead of us. He's way ahead of us. Are you ready? Because see, the, most, the scariest thing about these verses and these things I'm reading to you is they can happen any time. See, back in 1940, I mean 1914, there was a person uh, I was reading that went to school, a college at Columbia, and the professor says, oh, you, don't, wanna, you don't, don't believe the Bible. And the girl in class said to that professor, why shouldn't I believe the Bible? He said, because the Bible said Israel's going to become a nation again, and that's impossible. 1948. Tick, tick, tick. Israel became a nation again in 1948. I wonder what that professor says now. He's come up with another excuse. If you don't want to believe, you're not going to believe. But God gives it to you in black and white. It's a more sure word of prophecy. It's a more sure word of prophecy right there. When he comes back and his church ruling, it says there, I saw a great white throne of him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sieve gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And this is what the Bible says, and they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever, now listen to me. This is what I want to close by showing you. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now that's a prophecy to come. Now you're going to take your whole soul and put it and embed it against this book right here that's been right 100%. Man, you're... you're 
you're braver than me. Jesus Christ said something that's been true for me. He said, he that believeth on me is not condemned. Then he went on to say, but he that believeth not is condemned already. He said that in John 3, 18. John 3, 36 says that he that believeth on him hath everlasting life. That's me. I, I put my faith in Jesus Christ and he gave me everlasting life. But then it goes on to say, but he that believeth not, the wrath of God abideth on him. That's what we're just reading. Hell's waiting on you. So either this book is completely true or completely false. But here's the problem. It's been true through history, all through history. All that happened, all that the Bible says happened with that little guy right there, Jesus Christ, it all came true. Here's the scary part. We're waiting on the rest of it to come. And the rest of it to come is not nothing you want to be a part of. It's hell, it's fire, it's Armageddon, it's the Antichrist. It's all the stuff that everybody's scared of. That's why it's waiting on people that don't believe in Jesus Christ. So, let me close by saying this. Gave you a lot of bad news, but here's the good news. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, tonight, this very night, you can take care of that. It don't have to be anything special. You don't have to be in a special place. We're not asking you to get baptized at this church. We're not talking about baptism. We're not talking about any of this. So what we're talking about is you taking your heart and saying, Lord, I, I believe what your book says about me. If I don't have you, I need you. I want Jesus Christ. I don't understand everything that preacher's saying. I just know that I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to be saved. Will you save me? If you have a heart like that and you put your heart towards Jesus Christ like that, let me tell you something. This book says he'll save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. It's just calling on him. We're not telling, telling you to do something special, so we're about to give an invitation. We try to every time we have a service, and this invitation, Brother Matt's going to come up here and sing. Wade's going to play the piano for us. And this is just an opportunity. If you want to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, just step on out, come up here to where I'm standing, and you can get saved. Now, if you say, well, I don't know for sure. I'm not for sure. Don't wait. Because I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Because once Jesus Christ comes back, you're on your own. I'll be gone. <laughs> He's rapturing me out. I'm gone. But tonight is a night for salvation. What better night to get saved than on Amen. Christmas night? Amen. Amen. Brother, let's have an invitation. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world, but... 
verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. Same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.